All right, we're in the Advent season. The Advent season traditionally celebrated around four candles, love, joy, uh, peace, and hope. Yes, backwards. Hope, love, joy, and peace. And, and traditionally, as you celebrated Advent throughout the month of December, you would light the candle for hope. You would light the candle for love. Now we're lighting the candle for joy, and then comes peace, right? So uh, Advent literally means this. It means arrival. So when we talk about celebrating a season of Advent, what we're gathering together to do is celebrate the arrival of Jesus. So let me kick that off. This morning we're celebrating the arrival of joy. We should be joyful people, right? I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Luke 2, 8 through 12, here is the arrival of our joy. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring Great joy. What he's saying is not joy, it's great joy. It's not good joy, it's great joy. Listen, we have great joy. Why are you angry? Why are you upset? Why are you frustrated? Why are you annoyed? Why are you constantly on edge? Why are you one thing happening away from exploding? Why? We have great joy. What does the angel say arrived, what does the angel say advent at the birth of Jesus? Good news that will bring us great joy. We have good news that brings us great joy to all people. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. One of my favorite people growing up was our high school football coach, Coach Clark. Coach Clark was just, he was, <clears throat> he was the coach of all coaches, man. I mean, and great coaches have great sayings, right? Like they just have the best one-liners on the planet. Get around a great coach, and they're going to have great phrases, great one-liners, great things that they say. Coach Clark was the king of them. One of them he would always say is, you, you run like a 70-something. If you were slow, if you, didn't, if you weren't running hard, if you, you run like a 70-something. Do we need to change your number to a 70-something? Because linemen were 70s, right? So he's, like, you run like a 70-something. Another one was round the jobber. He, there was a fire hydrant that was like 150 yards beyond our practice field. It was up near the front of the school. Every time he blew his whistle, round the jobber, round the jobber. And he'd just have us run all the way down around the jobber and back. But one of Coach Clark's all-time classics was it's far from your heart. It's far from your heart. Now listen, this was during a day and age when like football was still actually football, Right? Like, this is when you won state championships with, like, the power eye and the wishbone, right? 
None of this spread it out, don't get hit, protect it. No, this was like we're going to have four-inch splits with the linemen and we're going to run the ball nine times out of ten right down your throat, right? Like this was Coach Clark, right? He was a wishbone guy. He was a power-eye guy. And it's far from your heart. I remember one of our defensive linemen, Aaron Pratt, he, he got his finger caught in a guy's helmet. Like literally got his finger caught in a helmet, bent his finger. His finger was pointing this way. He comes running up. He's like, coach, I need a sub. I need a sub. I need a sub. He runs up and he holds up his hand and he said, coach, my finger. And coach Clark looks at him and he says, Aaron, it's far from your heart and we don't have another defensive lineman. Get back in there. And Aaron's, I mean, literally he's like right turn only, you know, like he's like, holds his hand and we're like, what? And he, I mean, he did. He went back in and he finished out the game. Like, this was a time where there were not, we had no training staff. There were not nurses and you know, on the sidelines, you know, and no doctor. This was like Coach Clark was the nurse, the doctor, or the training staff. And his one diagnosis every time was it's far from your heart. There's nothing with Coach Clark that was anything other than it's far from your heart. Oh, you're missing your foot. It's far from your heart. You're going to be okay. Get back in there. You lost your head. It's far from your heart. You're going to be fine, son. Get back in there. When we talk about joy, here is the thing we have to understand. Maybe it's adopting Coach Clark's phrase, right? If you were here five years ago, we went through a season on joy, and we had this declaration that we all declared, it is far from my joy. We would declare over, it's far from my joy. Whatever happened to me may have happened, but it's far from my joy. What I'm going through might be what's happening, right? But it's far from my joy. What's happening in my life, what's happening at work, what's happening with people around me, what's happening in the country. I'm aware of it. I see it. It's not going according to plan. It's not going according to prayer. It's not going the way I thought it would, but it's still far from my joy. If we're going to develop a theology of joy, if we are going to become a people who live consumed with a biblical joy, the first thing we have to understand about joy is there is nothing on this earth that can steal my joy. There is nothing happening, going to happen, or that has happened that can steal my joy. Now, it can steal your happiness, If we are going to build something here today, let's build something, right? If we're going to build something that we can stand on. One of my goals is not to give a message on Sunday that's forgot on Monday, but to give a message on Sunday that works on Tuesday, right? If we're going to build something when we talk about joy, we've got to understand the difference between joy, God's joy, not our joy or a joy that we manufacture. We've got to understand the difference between God's joy and happiness, There is a huge difference in joy and happiness. Happiness by nature literally means an attitude of satisfaction based on chance. Look it up. That's what happiness is. Happiness is an attitude of satisfaction based on chance. The very word happiness comes from the Latin root happenstance, which means that which occurs by chance. Literally, when people say, I'm searching for happiness, they're saying, I'm searching for a happenstance that has the chance to make me happy. 
That's what we're, that's what we're, and here is, here is the thing. If you are not careful and you don't understand what joy is, you can spend the entire rest of your life searching for happiness that is constantly empty. And here's the sad part. I see people get to this place all of the time. Either you continually spend your life finding different things to fuel a false happiness inside of you to get you through the next three to six months, or you reject happiness altogether. One of my favorite I'll call him an educator. He is, uh, he's brilliant. I mean, I love learning from smart people, and I think this guy, uh, he's a young guy. He's one of the smartest up-and-coming entrepreneurs, marketers, advertisers there is. He's just absolutely brilliant. And he, it couldn't have been more ironic. He released a video last week on his Instagram, and his, the title of his video is Why I Gave Up on Happiness. And he literally walks through exactly what we're talking about. He was a millionaire by 24. He had $50 million net worth by 31. And he thought money would make him happy. And it didn't make him happy. So he gave up on that. He got married. He thought marriage would make him happy. The marriage didn't make him happy. So finally he adopted this phrase that he coins in the video, forget happiness. He uses a different F word. But he says, forget happiness. I'm over happiness. And so then he says he spent the next five years of his life saying, I don't care about happiness. Nothing will make me happy. I'm over happiness. Forget happiness. And now he's come to a place, ironically, right before Christmas, where he's coming out saying, I have reevaluated happiness and I'm in search for it. Right? What, what has happened? He realized, first of all, that he couldn't find anything in the world to make him happy. So then he rejected happiness altogether, and that didn't make him happy. So now he's back on the pursuit to find happiness. Again, this is the vicious cycle of happiness versus joy. The problem with happiness is this. In order for it to be sustained, it has to come from something bigger than you. Or else you're living by chance. And not only does it have to be bigger than you, but it has to be able to sustain you. It's got to continue to sustain you or else you'll... Listen, I have, I have seen in the church people make the stupidest decisions. Call it what it is. The most ignorant, ill-informed, stupidest decisions of their life based on searching for happiness. I'm talking blown up 30 years of marriage, three kids, two grandkids, beautiful home, beautiful life, for the opportunity to be happy with a lustful fling that for some reason they've convinced themselves is going to make them happy and willing to say, well, I just feel like I deserve to be happy. You think that's going to make you any happier than you are? No, no, no. What's going to happen is it's going to create a cycle of the next one and the next one and the next one because happiness isn't found in a person. Happiness cannot be sustained in a person. I've seen people get married. Hey, we hate each other. We're not in love at all. We fight all the time. Every day we fight. So we thought we'd have a kid. We thought that would make us happy. Brilliant. I mean, brilliant, right? We can't stand each other, so we thought a kid would fix it. So literally, what do they do? They put their happiness on a child. Now what happens that kid's waking up in the middle of the night. That kid's keeping them up all night. The kid's stressing them out. They're fighting over who does what and who takes care of what. And now all of a sudden, because the kid didn't solve their happiness, they start looking for a new happiness, which usually comes in a text conversation with a coworker that leads to a place it never should have led to because we're looking for happiness in the wrong things. 
Happiness will not satisfy your soul. Happiness will not renew your soul. And the greatest test of happiness is when you go through trials. When you go through difficult times. When you face challenges. So what do we need? We need a joy that is beyond us. Right? If my joy is in you and you disappoint me, I'm upset. If my joy is in God and my joy comes from God, my joy is greater than anything that you can do to me. Then we need a joy that renews itself. We need a joy that brings life and continues to bring life. And it's not just a one-time thing, but it's a lifetime of living satisfied and empowered by a joy that does this, stands beyond our trials, stands beyond our challenges, stands beyond our difficulties. So we got our framework. Let's see if we can solve our problem. Number one, joy. Where does it come from? Psalm 4, 7 through 8. This is David declaring to God in the midst of persecution, you have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Luke 2.10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Philippians 4.4. Paul declares, always be joyful in the Lord. I love he adds always there. You know what always means in the Greek? Always. You're right. You're absolutely right. It means you don't have a choice. There's not a time where you're joyful and a time where you're not. It means you always have the ability to be filled with joy. You always have an opportunity to choose joy. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. If you want a book to read uh, in the Bible about joy, the book of Philippians is known as the book of joy. I, I, read it next week. It's four chapters, easy read. Read one a day. You'll finish it before the week's end. It is all about joy. What you need to understand about the book of Philippians is the context. Acts chapter 16 gives us the context of the book of Philippians. It all starts with a church that's birthed in Lydia's house. Paul and Silas are there. They're ministering. Their ministry explodes. They start a church in Lydia's house in Philippi, and it begins to grow, and it begins to expand. Paul and Silas are arrested. They're thrown into prison. When they're arrested and thrown into prison, God sends an earthquake, shakes the prison. They break free. They come out of the prison. They're celebrating. They're rejoicing. The church is excited, and Paul gets arrested again. This time, he spends four years in a Roman prison. He's facing execution. He's got a death sentence. He is locked away in a prison cell, and he pens the book of Philippians. How ironic, right? During one of the worst seasons of his life, during the greatest hardships he's ever experienced, during his deepest, darkest challenges, he writes a theology of joy. And listen to one of the things he says in Philippians chapter 1. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Imagine saying that. Imagine saying they took my life away from me. They took everything away from me, locked me in a prison, but guess what? Rejoice. It's spreading the good news. 
For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. But that doesn't matter. Here's what matters. What their motives are, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And then he doubles it down again. And I will continue to rejoice. Listen, Paul is in a Roman prison. He is chained to a Roman soldier. He's facing an execution for death. And what he is declaring is this. They can take away my life. They can take away my freedom. They can lock me in a prison. They can sentence me to death. But the one thing they can't take is my joy. That's the message of Philippians. That's the message of Paul. Essentially, what Paul is saying is, my prison can become a platform to display the joy that I have. Isn't that amazing? Paul could be sulking. He could be worried. He could be pouting. He could be upset. He could be depressed. He could be anxious. He could be miserable. He could be filled with worry. Yet, what is the only thing that boils up out of his soul? Rejoice. And I'll tell you again, rejoice. Why? Because the source of his joy is greater than the circumstance he finds himself in. The source of his joy is greater than what he's going through. The source of his joy is greater than what people do to him. How can Paul turn around, get set free from prison, and then witness and reach for the gospel thousands of Roman soldiers? Because they couldn't take his joy from him. When they couldn't take his joy from him, they couldn't get him. They couldn't, ca- they couldn't capture him. They couldn't lure him into bitterness. They couldn't lure him into hurt. He's saying, I've, I've got a joy that's beyond you. I've got a joy that extends that is greater than you. And because of that, I can live in any circumstance. Whether, he says in the book of Romans chapter 8, whether I am rich or I am poor, whether I am happy or I am sad, whether I have everything or I have nothing, I can still be content. Why? Because his joy is deeper. One of Cain and I's favorite things to do in the summer is buy a ton of bunch of balloons and have a water fight. Bunch of balloons are like 100 at a time, right? You screw it onto the end of a hose, you turn a hose on, and it just, it, it inflates these water balloons up, and then, you know, you dump them in a bucket, and you just, you have tons of them. It's one of the coolest things, right? I love bunch of balloons. And so we, we, we get ready, and we're having this water fight, and he's got a five-gallon bucket with all the water balloons. He's got this giant water gun, and, you know, he always catches me at the jump. He's like, all right, Dad. He's like, you go over there, and I'll get, and then he just starts throwing stuff at me, and he's got me pinned down. And, like, when we have water fights, we simulate war. This is not any sort of participation trophy fight, right? This is like one dies, one lives. Let's go. Two men enter, one man comes out. Welcome to the Thunderdome, right? So it's like, here we go. Now's the fight, and he's got me pinned down, and he's just launching water balloons at me, and I'm hiding over by the side of the house, and I got this little patio chair there, and he's got this water gun, and he's just, just spraying everywhere. He looks like Rambo in the middle of a Rambo movie. He's like, bomb, grenade, grenade, grenade. And I'm just waiting, and then all of a sudden, the water balloons run out, right? There's no more splashes from the water balloons, and I'm still just hiding behind this chair, and then I hear his gun starting to wear down, right? And then, you know, at the end, when the water gun's out of water, it's like, 
you know, it's just like this mist that's coming out. And I'm like, okay, now I got him because I had the water hose. I had something that did, and I had that little gun. I got this little gun on the end of the water hose, like turns it into a pressure washer, right? Like you don't just hose him down, you leave marks. You just, you, you leave like a trail. It looks like a maze that just hit him when he's going. So he's sitting there and he's just about out of water. And right as he's about out of water, I pop up and I see him. And he's like, down him out, down him out, down him out. You know, just hose him down and got him, man. And, and here's why. I had a source that outlasted his. Here's what you have. Joy versus happiness. Happiness will run out. You will find yourselves either rejecting the concept altogether or turning to something else to make you happy. Joy is sustained. Joy continues on. Joy is deeper than what I'm going through. Joy is greater than anything that happens to me. Joy comes from the Lord. That's the first thing we have to understand. If we're going to walk in a biblical joy, build a foundation of joy for ourselves, joy is greater. It is far from my joy, no matter what happens to me. The second thing is this. Here's what we need. Not only do we need a great joy, but we need a joy that continually renews. We need a joy that, that doesn't run out, that doesn't go on empty. We need a joy that sticks with us. So what do we have? Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's what we have to understand. Joy is renewed and sustained by the Holy Spirit. Say, how do I continually renew my joy? How do I continually live a life of joy? It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, what is the fruits of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit produce? Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is produced when we live a life according to and in intimacy with, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we produce joy. Paul, Philippians 1, 4 through 6, he says, Whenever I pray, I make my requests for you all with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the gospel and the news of Christ from the first time you heard of it until now. And I am certain in that, that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day of Christ Jesus. Luke 10, 21, this is Jesus declaring where his joy comes from. It says, at the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what renews our joy. Not a raise, not a new opportunity, not a new spouse, not a girlfriend and a spouse, not anything. It, the, the Holy Spirit is what renews our joy. How many of you have been scammed by, I, I shouldn't say scammed, but how many of you have been caught by one of these auto-renew things, right? Come on, Anybody? Husbands, I know your wives signed up for something that auto-renewed, right? I, I, uh, listen, these things drive me insane. Um, and now, apps, what in the world? 
every app in the app store. It is, so I'll, I'll give you my, my, my most recent one. This one drove me mad. So Zadok, my whole family, we're trying to get our kids off YouTube, says every parent all the time, right? We're just trying to get them off YouTube, trying to get them off YouTube. So we're trying to get my kids off YouTube, and Zadok is going crazy. Zion is dragging me across the kitchen. She wants me to make a pizza. Canaan wants to leave and go play with friends, and Ezra needs to be held, right? So I'm like being pulled in all these directions, and Zadok's following me, daddy phone, daddy phone, daddy phone. And I'm like, you can't watch YouTube. He's like, I want my shows, I want my shows. I said, how about a game? And he said, okay, game, daddy, game. I was like, fine, got it. So I get my phone, I open up the app store, and I type in Kids Games app. First one that pops up, Tiny Tap. And it says Kids Educational Games. Like, great, at least he'll get smart doing it, right? So I, I download the app. Once I get the app, it downloads. I open it up, and I'm like, which, app do, which game do you want? And he points at the Shapes one. I was like, perfect. Open up the Shapes one, hand it to him. I walk away. He starts screaming and crying again. Zion's like, pizza, pizza. Ezra's crying. Canaan's like, Dad, can I leave you? Dad, can I leave you? I'm like, what's wrong? He turns it to me, and the stinking game says, in order to play this game, it requires a subscription. Of course it does. Download our app for free and then pay for everything once you're in there, right? So I'm like, fine, give it here, and I look at it, and it says you can do a three-day free trial, cancel anytime. Fine, done. Hit the free trial. Now, Usually, I will tell Siri to remind me to cancel the free trial in like two days, right? I'll be like, hey, Siri, remind me, cancel the trial in two days. And usually, I'm, I'm super good about this. But the whole house is going nuts. I started the free trial. I went over there. I'm helping with this. And I forgot. So I'm sitting in my office a couple days ago, and I'm working. And as I'm working, I get this App Store notification. And the App Store notification pops up on my phone. And it says, uh, your auto-renew of TinyTap is complete. And I'm like, no, what? What? What is it? And so I open up the rest of the notification, and it says, you have renewed TinyTap for $10 a month, paid one time annually for $120. I was like, no! I don't want this, you know? So then I'm like, I get an Apple support. And I'm like, somehow I wind up texting Apple support, you know? So we're like in this thread back and forth. And I'm saying, I don't want this. Cancel this. I don't need. And here was their response. If this is not like the auto response of all time, sir, we understand your inconvenience. No, we apologize for the inconvenience. Oh, thank you, right? I appreciate you apologizing for the inconvenience. However... You signed up for the auto-renew that was set to renew on this day. Therefore, there is nothing we can do about this purchase. Ah! Right? So guess what Zadok's getting for Christmas? A one-year subscription to Tiny Tap from his dad. <laughs> right? I mean, what else am I going to do with it? But here, here's the thing. All that to say this. The Holy Spirit is our auto-renew of joy. If you are low on joy, you are low on intimacy with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit produces joy. 
the Holy Spirit refills our joy. And when you, are, when you are walking in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, when you're spending time in prayer, you're spending time in worship, you're spending time in God's word, and you are living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you are living like Jesus and doing what Jesus would do, and the Holy Spirit is empowering you, it is auto-renewing your joy. It is like setting the auto-renew and not having to worry about it. If you are low on joy, you are low on the Holy Spirit. But when you walk with the Holy Spirit, you you begin to not just receive a joy from God, but get that joy renewed over and over and over again. And then we finish here, and this is the differentiator. This is my favorite thing about the joy of the Lord. About what the, you know, this is a great Bible study to do. Go through the Old Testament and see how many times they reference the joy of the Lord and see how many times it's done in the midst of trial. Ezra rebuilding a temple, Nehemiah fighting with the palace guards over and over and over again, but I will trust in the joy of the Lord. That's the only thing they had. That's the only thing they referenced because it's the only thing they had. It's not like, oh, it's almost Christmas time. We'll light the candle. Families in town and we all get along and we make great desserts together and we have a joyful Christmas. No, it's like life is falling apart. It is an absolute mess. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is what joy does for you that happiness cannot. It shines brightly in trials. It shines beautifully in trials. Listen, I'll just read, let me read you a few passages from God's word. 1 Thessalonians 1.16. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. Isn't that interesting? In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. Philippians 2, 17 through 18, Paul declares, I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Again, remember, he's facing execution, chained to a Roman guard. He's four years in on his prison sentence. And he's saying, I'm rejoicing. Even if they kill me, I'm rejoicing. If rejoicing costs me my life, I'm still rejoicing. This is my life is being poured out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Colossians 1.24. Paul says, I am glad. I rejoice I have joy when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Romans 5, 3-4. We can rejoice. All of us. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Now, this is really, really important. Joy is not absence of pain. And joy is not absence of suffering. Joy is what gets you through pain. Joy is what gets you through suffering. Having a satisfaction and a joy that is Deeper than the devastating hurt that you've walked through. That is deeper than the pain that has been caused to you at the hands of somebody else. But I have joy and my joy is 
deeper than that. My joy is the only thing that's going to get me through that because if I lose joy, I lose it all. I, I, I've told you, um, I spent a, a, quite a bit of time in South Africa. I've been to Joburg, Durban, and Cape Town, done a lot of ministry throughout. First trip, I went there, I spoke 28 times in 26 days at a bunch of evangelistic events all over uh, South Africa. The second and third time that I went back, I worked in AIDS villages and orphanages. Um, and one of the places I, I remember, and, and I remember even going there, and, and I'll just tell you, like for me, <clears throat> this is really, really, really hard to see children who have no future. I'll just, I'll just tell you exactly what it is, right? SOS Children's Orphanage in Soweto, South Africa. Um, it is an orphanage for children whose parents have died of AIDS and they have either contracted AIDS by way of being born from parents who have AIDS or they're, they're orphans because of AIDS, right? And they live in this orphanage, and I mean, um, I, they just, there's no education for them. There is, there is no sort of care system that takes them in or get there is none of that right it is you go to the children's orphanage until you turn 18 and then you're out on your own and these kids are treated like lepers because they came from an AIDS village or an AIDS orphanage so there's just no opportunity for them they wind up living in squatter camps or slums and live off the streets until they pass away the average lifespan for a male South African is 47 years old and so I'm going into this place, and I just remember my heart is so heavy because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, these kids just don't have a chance, man. These kids don't have a chance. And so we pull up to the orphanage, and I get out, and I mean, you know how you walk through moments in life that just stick with you? They, they stick in your mind, they stick in your heart. I remember right above the gates, S-O-S, Children's orphanage in these rainbow letters going across there and the gates were open and my heart is heavy like my heart is deeply deeply burdened and I, and I get there and as I'm walking to the gates I hear this singing I hear this just this you know children singing right go back there and listen to all of them sing this is one of the most beautiful things in the world I hear these children singing and then I hear this laughing, this laughter that is just contagious. And I, I get in there, and as I get in there, they're dancing, right? And within 30 seconds, I am between a jump rope, and I'm sitting there skipping rope as they're singing songs in Afrikaans, right? And I'm just trying to skip rope. And then all of a sudden, I'm drug over to this circle where they're all doing this, this, this dance and this music and this stomp stuff. And they're, they're all singing, and they're dancing, and they're having fun. And then all of a sudden, these kids drug me over to a, a dirt field with an old melon that they let harden and then after it hardened they taped around it to make a soccer ball and they're playing soccer and these kids are barefoot running around kicking a hard melon right playing soccer and they're laughing they're having a blast they're making fun of me because I'm not a soccer guy right and we're just we're having so much fun and, and I'm I'm in this tension right because in the moment it's beautiful like in the moment, it's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see is to see children who have nothing having the time of their life, right? But then there's this other part of me that, that's just in, deeply burdened because I'm like, they have no idea. Like they have no idea. They can't spell, they can't read, they can't write. 
There's no job opportunities. They're treated like lepers because they're coming from an AIDS field. Like literally they got 18 years here of an orphanage feeding them and then they're, they're scrounging on the streets. And I was so deeply burdened. I was just kind of taking a step back and Pastor Sean Heltzinger, he pastors Riddleport Baptist Church in Joburg, South Africa. He comes up to me and he says, brother, brother. And he said, how are you? And I told him, I said, man, I said, I'm struggling. Like, I, I can't understand. Like, I don't know what to do with this, right? Because they're, they're having fun and they're laughing and they have joy. And I said to him, I said, Sean, how can they have joy? How can they have joy? And this is one of those moments that will stick with me the rest of my life. Pastor Sean looked at me and he said, brother, he said, you don't understand. He put his hand on my shoulders and he gestured to the kids and he said, my brother, all they have is joy. All they have is joy. They've got no home. They've got no family. They've got no money. They barely have clothes. But all they have is joy. And my perspective, even to this day, that was, I don't want to tell you how many years ago. <laughs> At least 18 years ago, right? Um, even to this day, like my perspective of joy is I can lose everything and still have joy. I can be barefoot kicking a melon in a dirt field and have joy, right? Or we can be blessed enough to live in the space that we live in, the country that we live in, with the opportunities that we live in. And you know what's even scarier is I can live the life I have now and have no joy. And I can see children across the world who have nothing, but they have everything I don't. They've got joy. They've got a joy that is deeper than their circumstance. They've got a joy that is deeper than what they've walked through. They've got a joy that is deeper than the pain that they will face in their future. They have everything while having nothing. That's exactly what Paul said. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy is renewed and sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. And joy shines brightly in trials.